Hello, folks, and welcome back to Culture Dumps. Today, we got another special episode for you. You know how we do it. We like to have interesting guests on to discuss all kinds of different stuff. Today, we got a pretty big one. Um, old friend of mine from, from the old L.A. DIY punk scene turned uh, prolific and successful comedy writer. Uh, very, very cool to have him on. Been been trying to get him on for a while now. So Dave Cyrus is our guest today. Dave is an Emmy-nominated Writers Guild Award-winning writer. He's worked on Saturday Night Live. He writes for Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. Most recently, he co-created the uh, Pete Davidson vehicle Bubkiss, which is available on Peacock, which is incredible. I'm actually in- very, very impressed. Not that I thought I wouldn't be. Um, so be, be sure you check that out. We're going to talk about you know his time at SNL. We're going to talk about the war on comedy, so to speak. We're going to talk about the writer's strike, all kinds of different stuff. Um, so without further ado, this is my interview with Dave Cyrus. All right. It's here, folks. My interview with Dave Cyrus. It's been a while since you and I have seen each other. Uh, we we met in the, the punk scene out here in L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that would have been maybe at least 12 years ago right something like oh, that yeah for for sure yeah you guys uh we, we, you played with my ill-fated rap group don't youtube it because uh i will i will go down in flames different time but <laughs> yeah it, it was a different time it, it just surely it, it was uh yeah and i think the last time i saw you was your going away party uh when when you moved to new york oh wow yeah that was the last time i actually saw you uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I remember that. That was uh, when I got SNL and I had to leave West Hollywood. And uh, yeah, that was right. fun. Well, we're going to we're going to get to to SNL. I want to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to try and stay away from the cliché SNL questions. But uh first and foremost, your new show along with your best friend Pete Davidson, Bubkiss. Uh how, how do you like it? how do you like the finished product, man? I, I thought it was great. First episode is is incredible. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a crazy thing anytime you work on a show because, you know, this isn't the first show I've worked on, but it's the first one I was like a co-creator where I was actually at that level, um, you know, to an extent. And uh, it's really crazy because like when you do it on that level, you know, every single, every single moment, you know, what could have been both, both better or worse. You know, there's moments where you're like, oh, that I wish had been this way or, oh my God, that's so much better now than it was like initially so it's a it's a very weird feeling because i mean there are you know there's there's episodes that are more me than others and there's episodes that are my favorites and uh you know it's it's funny how many people have seen it now and how there's so many different ways that people uh, approach it like how there are people who consider the first episode the best episode and i think it is the funniest one um and then there are people who simply cannot handle the vulgarity of it yeah and they <laughs> they hit and they and they go past it whereas i think the first episode honestly is our most successful episode i think it's the one that is has the most laughs and it's the one that has the most sort of uh uh organized orchestrated comedy it's not just dialogue comedy it's not just an afterthought but that the scenes are really built around being funny and i, I really think the first episode is like one of my favorite ones, I think the sixth episode and, and yes, those are the episodes that I kind of wrote the most of personally, sure, but, hey. but I think that has nothing to do with the fact that I think they're better. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, when you're talking about the vulgarity of it, I mean like, and again, you know, I'm speaking from like a total outsider standpoint, like, Pete Davidson kind of has this um, very divisive nature about him in in the media, um, and it's mostly because mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with his comedy. It's always just like personal shit. And I think that that first like five minutes, the opening of the first episode, totally sets up like like because you have the serious aspect, and then you do this terrible thing to Edie Falco, which I'm like so fucking stoked on. But uh, yeah. you know, so I think that that like totally it's like no, this guy's really fucking funny. But there is this aspect where he is self-aware that like there's this the fucked up press stuff and all that. I don't know. I, I just thought yeah. it was a really good opener. Well, I think no, thank you. And I think that like one of the things that's cool about it is that like people really do have an incredibly wrong uh, assumption about like who he is and what his personality is sometimes. Like, you know, I think that people really do believe he either doesn't care about any of this and he clearly cares a lot sure. as portrayed in the show. Um, but like people just they really fill in a lot of blanks with celebrities where they think they know these people in a way that, and they have no idea at all, 
you know, I think people think they know who celebrities are because of how much they see them, but that's such a procured, curated version of people that it's good that you can just see someone from their own mind to say, this is who I am. This is what I feel like. Uh, you know, in that first scene, like I wrote most of those uh, captions, like when you see like all the headlines he's seen, like right. in the news yeah, yeah, about yeah. himself. I wrote, I wrote a lot of those and I tried to really make it like accurately like what it, it tends to be because like just like with the reviews of the show, there are ones that are positive that I love and there are ones that are negative that are fair that are, you know, they're, they're making points and saying maybe this isn't for them. That's OK. But then there are also reviews that are just like all they're talking about is who he dated. Right. And yeah. it's like this has nothing to do with the show. Like the show is the show doesn't even really touch upon any of that stuff yet. It's yours. Like that's not our responsibility to cater to because you only are obsessed with celebrity gossip. I mean, personally, like I've never understood that. I've never understood the very idea of an industry around the personal lives and relationships of celebrities. It means nothing to me. Right. To the extent that like I've hung out with girls that Pete was dating before and been the only one in the room who didn't know multiple things about them. Like when I hung out with Ariana Grande, I had no idea who Frankie was, right. her brother. <laughs> and he's like famous, I guess. But everyone sort of assumed I would know who he is. And I'm like, not everyone cares about that. You shit. Know. Yeah. Not some people just like the work like you have good music. That's all I'm interested in. You know, and I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think that's probably what these people would prefer. But, yeah, it was just a funny thing where it's like people would contact me, strangers, and be naming people that they've seen me hanging out near or with. And I don't know who those people are. And they're like naming the people that like I've casually met. And I'm like, I never even got that person's name. Like they're nice. It, it wasn't personal, but it's like I it's it, and it's not even like a, I don't care thing. It's like I just it's so alien to me to even like read any article about anyone's personal life or anyone's family or any of that, you know. Oh, see, I, I we love all that shit here, but only if it's like, like, I don't give a shit who's dating who. I give a shit when someone gets arrested. I give a shit if there's like, well, yeah, that's some, like expose that's scandal, like stuff like that. But even on the lowest tiers of reality TV, like to me, that's like that's what my news feed looks like. It's like, oh, shit, the Chrisleys are going to prison. But like as yeah. far as I mean, like, who's the dating, Chrisleys I don't give a shit. Is, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the Chrisleys going to prison is is actually is like a news story because it's like a famous person who's like committed a serious crime um that's that's more interesting i just i don't really watch reality at all right i've never watched any reality show that wasn't like a competition show that someone else was making me watch uh well i could tell you like, right now it would be uh because i know the listeners are probably saying tell them but uh best reality show of all time hands down is small town security and i think anyone could get into it especially uh because it's like it's it's vulgar. It's these aren't celebrities. These are <laughs> these are small town security guards. You uh, I got I just have to recommend that to that you. So start there. Yeah. <laughs> like there's stuff that I can like when it's a competition between like people who are the best in the world. It's something that's different to me. Oh Sure. Yeah. Like like drag race or, you know, cake making or cooking or, or fighting like that's different to me. Um, but also a doc, sometimes reality can be so good. It's more of a documentary. And I love documentary, but there's a big, big difference between typically reality and documentary, which is like the ethics are yes. entirely different because even as documentaries are massaged and information is curated and it's meant to sit, have a certain viewpoint, reality is tends to be way worse where they are just fabricating people and situations. They're franken cutting sometimes. You're familiar with that term where like they're literally just taking sentences and cutting them apart to invent entirely new uh just opinions and scenarios of people and i feel like bad because these people have to use their real names people watching this they actually think they are seeing this person they think that they're seeing a representation of this person and it's not yeah that, and it's like scary that's an interesting point yeah because they're just existing as themselves quote unquote and they have to carry that with, with, with them everywhere i mean you know i like and again, I don't, I don't want to like harp too hard on shit that's not necessarily you. But were you privy to the Kardashians? Like, were, did you like hang around them like while they had their camera crews or anything like that? Um, I've, I mean, I hung out with them a good amount during the relationship. 
Um, but the cameras were not normally, not when the cameras were there, to be honest. Um, I remember we went to dinner once at quarters in Koreatown and I know that there were, but there were cameras, but they weren't, um, they weren't their cameras. They were like paparazzi. Like I was never miked. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Which means you're not part of it. Sure. You know, and, uh, and cause Pete didn't want to be, you know, uh, a star of a reality show. And that's why he, you know, is very he's not in that show much at all, uh, as far as I know. I haven't actually watched it. Yeah, no, uh, it's like it's like a episode and a half, like I, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would, but he's part of her life. It made sense. But like he just, you know, he's not a reality yeah, guy. Well, then we had like, Kanye come in and uh, all the attention left from uh, Kim's new relationship to her old one. Back, you know? Well, that's uh, <laughs> arguably a lot more interesting a situation. <laughs> um, you know, interesting can mean a lot of things. And uh, yeah, Kanye is kind of someone who it's hard to it's like Trump. It's like it's hard to go back to caring about the mundanity of life when someone is that. Out there, yeah, that, you know, bizarrely different than what we consider OK in society. Yeah, especially when everyone in the um, world is watching you at all times, yeah. you know, um, but I but I hung out. I hung out with them. We went to like we did like escape rooms and, you know, shit like that. And <laughs> it was, you know. It was perfectly fine. They were all nice people, you know. Um, I could only tell you a handful of what their names were, right? You know, the, the people because you know, we hung out with like people like Chloe and Lala and stuff, which is cool. And and uh, like, like I said, they're all like they seem like fine people, but it was like I think some people just take this stuff way too seriously. Sure, yeah. You know, yeah. they take fame too seriously. Not them. I'm saying like people who don't know what's going on, and they just sort of they get too wrapped up in celebrity gossip and relationships, and just like if you've ever publicly mentioned or if you've ever publicly condemned a stranger for who they're attracted to there's something wrong with you yeah it's unnecessary you know what i mean it's like and it, you have no bearing on them they're not going to see it most of the time unless they go they scroll through it and see it, much like the scene in in bubkis where he's googling himself um now as far as the cast goes in that you guys got fucking joe pesci and what i love about his character is it's still classic pesci like casino but somehow with this like way softer edge to him and i'm just wondering like what the process was like kind of getting him into the character or even just landing that like, you know, that score. I think the thing about it is, is that like, and I do like the fact that we see a softer sort of side to him. And I think, you know, maybe that's having to do with, you know, age and wisdom, but it's also just sort of the environment because he is a great actor. And, you know, going into it, it was like, we weren't going to try to make Joe Pesci break too hard from what we expected of him. We wanted him. We wanted Joe Pesci. We wanted the, you know, the, the iconic, you know, guy who, you know, and he wasn't the first person we spoke to about that part. We actually initially were talking to another that level person without saying who it is, basically a very short list of people that you would associate as like Joe Pesci level. Uh -huh. Um, And it was very exciting, but we were actually very happy it ended up being Joe. Um, And because also the thing is Joe's going to do what he wants to do in a great way, it, which is the idea that he's going to apply all his experience and all his understanding of drama to the character. And he's going to be a great voice in terms of like what he thinks this person should and should not be like. And I like that a lot, too, because, you know, you can I absolutely trusted his instincts on that. And that's why, you know, you can because like when you're writing something and then Joe Pesci's saying it, you're like, oh, wow, this is real. Yeah, this is a lot of responsibility. Like, are there times um, when you're writing for someone like a Joe Pesci or an Edie Falco where you're like, I can't believe I'm about to have them say this? A little bit, because, I mean, some of it is very silly. And there were there were things that like there was a joke I really wanted in the first episode that I ended up not making it that like I knew it was like, I can't believe I'm asking Joe Pesci to say this. Uh, it was a joke. I think it was like um, he was talking about how he's dying and he they and Pete goes, is there sure there's there's nothing you can do? And I was going to have Joe Pesci say, uh, well, there was this one. Ex there I saw a documentary about this experimental procedure that looked really promising, but it turned out it was just some Jordan Peele horror movie. <laughs> and like, that's such a 
you know that's such a nerdy joke to make joe pesci do right yeah it's like I, yeah it's like would would that character or even joe pesci see that yeah uh that that's fucking funny but also uh, you have like you know these two mafia fucking film tv show greats you know like side by side like you know of course Edie falco of sopranos and then fucking joe yeah, pesci it's, it's weird so, yeah, yeah yeah it's crazy and i mean the show you know from my understanding it's fairly autobiographical you know from pete's standpoint but i mean like 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 how much of that is true and then how much is is like kind of made well, it was up just sort of like take it was it was just trying to take like real things from his life and then like expanding on them but with a really bizarre surreal kind of fantastical edge um pete loves like insane humor pete loves like naked gun level <laughs> jokes but we also want and to end like real drama so we had this very and a lot of people's criticism is something that we a hundred percent chose to do which is have a very inconsistent tone like that was a choice to swing from really grounded and dramatic to the zaniest thing you've seen on television uh in certain parts and it's okay if that doesn't work for you but that is what we were trying to do it's not like it was an accident um so like, I just, I don't know. I think, um, I think the show ends up being a sort of just very surprising thing, but a lot of it is, you know, very much based on his real experiences just from this lens of, uh, you know, in some, in some episodes, it's through the lens of, of like mental illness or drug use or just anxiety. And, you know, it's, it's, it's expanding on that, you know, we never, went to try to kill someone who was putting a photo of Pete online. He didn't like, <laughs> but there is a, but there is a guy who for years has been putting a photo that's intentionally like uh, a bad photo of him to replace modern photos of him. Like that is a thing. Someone <laughs> has been doing that for years. So, so we made an episode about if Pete had indulged this anxiety uh, over that and tried to go kill the guy, <laughs> you know, Pete, really did want up to kid and but like me really were like no you know it's not like he was like going through the process of it but like he did in him in himself really just be like i just i just want to be a dad he wants to be a dad and it was like a discussion about like no you should you should wait a little bit yeah you know but i'm not trying to make it sound like he was going to an adoption agency but like no but like pete like literally was like you know, I want to be a father. Should I just, you know, should I wait till I meet the right woman or should I at some point decide to be a dad? And, you know, that's because he just really wants to be a dad and that's cool. And so we made an episode about that and around another real experience of his, which was taking a kid who had been dealing with, you know, some difficult circumstances and just trying to cheer them up and you know, take him to an amusement park and what that's like, you know, when you don't have kids and you haven't spent a lot of time with kids. That's um, interesting because so, yeah. th there's kind of like a theme of that in uh, King of Staten Island as well, which I know that that you you wrote w w with him, like where, you know, he becomes kind of like the, you know, the older brother to, to the to the boyfriend's kid, the mom's boyfriend's kid. Yeah. And all that. He does like kids a lot. Yeah. So, He's really good with kids. Like and I know that with King of Staten Island, there was kind of some like a f like autobiographical elements to it. What was like the main difference between writing, say, a film that kind of has that air and then writing the, like a TV show? Well, I mean, the film had really Judd as the person sort of guiding where it was going. And while Pete and I would submit tons of material about what it could be, it was still Judd sort of architecting what the overall story would be. Whereas this, it was Pete. And he, and it was more about him stepping out more. It was less about, because I think the movie was more about trying to create a fictional world that just sort of, sort of uh, explained Pete in a way that rhymed with reality. Whereas this was about trying to make something that was more rooted in the real Pete's life, but also more uh, exaggerated, more heightened, more, uh, you know, surreal. Right. 
Right. Well, that's uh, let, let's let's. So, yeah, folks, I mean, that's on Peacock. So make sure you, you check that out. Bubkiss, uh, great show. Uh, first episode is available for free. I believe that's how I watched it. But now I got to sign up to watch the rest. Um, is the first episode free or the first two? I actually should check because yeah. I have it. So I, don't, I can't tell from my app. Yeah, I, I, I think it was just the first one because I would have watched the second one right after. But uh, maybe I'm wrong. Okay. Who knows? I, I am. I am dumb. Um, well, you know, there's nothing wrong. No one says you can't just get it for a month. There you go. Yeah. And... Hey, yeah. No shame. <laughs> but the that. thing is. Here's the thing, and I've been telling everyone this, because I have friends and like family who are getting Peacock for the show, and I'm like, do you have any idea how many extra long Office episodes are on Peacock right now? <laughs> they have like 35 minute Office episodes. That's like 60 percent new footage. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and, and, they, more and you get wrestling. You get all the you get all the wrestling. You yeah. Oh yeah. Them. WrestleMania is went from like sixty dollars a month to just free for five dollars a month on Peacock. How do they even? That's isn't that like mind blowing? Yeah, it's that they even crazy. got that. Yeah, it's fucking insane. And and not only that, you can watch every pay per view I, they've it's ever really done. It's really like a mind fuck. Yeah, I, well, they and they, I mean they did just uh, merge with UFC and some like insane fucking multi billion dollar deal. So we'll see what what comes out of that. Uh, I mean, if Peacock starts having UFC pay per views for free, I cannot imagine them not being the biggest app in the world. Like that—that's even mathematically impossible to even wrap your head around. But like, no, literally, first six seasons of The Office with all the unedited footage—it's amazing. <laughs> like, if you watch The Office a lot, that you get to watch it again. You get to you get to binge The Office again and like constantly see new stuff. Also, AP Bio oh, is amazing. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. AP Bio, especially the last two seasons that were just on Peacock, is such an amazing show. Um, there's like Peacock's really good, and like I feel like people don't even realize when they start pulling all their licensing for all the NBC shows, and they won't be the only place you can see like Seinfeld, Community, Office, Parks and Rec, like Cheers, like it's Friends. It's like crazy how much property they have yeah yeah that is that used to be half of what people were watching on netflix yeah but once it leaves the other places yeah it's gonna that app's gonna fucking explode also they have dangerous breed which we talked about on our patreon folks patreon.com slash culture dumps but uh dangerous breed is about this very low tier am, uh ex-professional wrestler who is a, also a show cat breeder who got what wrapped up in a murder rap so that's just like incredible it's like tiger king mixed with wrestling so check that out oh mixed with a lot of weed too but uh i want to talk about sn because you know you you wrote for Saturday Night Live for years. Do you still work on it? Well, I was going to this week, but the strike happened. Oh, Pete was hosting, so I was going to be uh, a returning guest writer. You know, sketches and stuff. Um, I was an SNL staff writer for one year, and then after that, was brought back to be Pete's uh, guest writer whenever he would do an update feature. Oh, okay. so whenever you see him at the update desk, that's something that I would have co wrote co wrote with him, co written with him along with. Uh, the you know, the kind of the only other people who historically uh, did that were along with me would have been maybe uh, or just Michael Michael Coleman uh, Mike Lawrence both really really great comedy writers uh, and they both they both had stints of years Mike Lawrence still writes with us Michael Coleman was sort of the twenty seventeen ish eighteen era uh, both great guys uh, but yeah those that was what I mostly did for SNL uh, after being a staff writer when you were a staff writer would you mostly do because like it, it, I don't really have a, a firm grasp on on how it all works there. But like my understanding is like some folks just work on weekend update. Is that is that how it goes? Yeah, there's weekend update writers specifically. I wrote a lot of, and, and of course that year I wrote a lot of Pete's update features with him as well. Um, so that was the we had five of those that year. Those were all uh, under my and Pete's blanket. And uh, I also the only other stuff I really wrote for SNL for the most part was like cold open stuff like political. It was a year. It was an election year. Thank God. So it was stuff I could write. They definitely liked my politics jokes and my sort of joke jokes like monologue ish like update jokes a lot more than like my original sketches. So the stuff that I had on the show was mostly cold open related uh, aside from the updates. Gotcha. Do you feel like with a weekend update, like some of the hosts get kind of a, uh, a bum deal just because of what's happening in the news? A lot like some folks just have like an incredible like when Norm was doing it, he had the OJ trial and like that's like, pen you know, pennies from heaven, like fucking falling down on him. And then the other people, they might just have like a boring news cycle to have to work with. I don't think it's that bad because I feel like boring news is fine. If anything, I feel like when news is more mundane, news comedy can be better because not everyone's talking about one thing. 
when you can, you know, it's like when Trump happened and a lot of comedy writers were confused by how many people are like, oh, this is great for comedy. I'm like, no, it's not. There's no joke to make anymore. I can make a joke about any politician, but everyone's making the same Trump joke. And it's like it used you can't make heightened jokes when someone is that much of a cartoon character. Yeah, of a joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I forgot who who it's who said it, but someone made the point of like when a monkey poops on itself and runs into a wall. How do you make a joke about that? <laughs> it's already the joke. There is nothing worse you can compare it to. There's nothing you can heighten that to. We're at, uh, you know, the we're at the the last level of insanity. You know, you'd rather deal with people who have dignity, right? Because then it's a lot easier to make jokes. Yeah, it kind of tops someone, itself. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that that makes that makes sense. How, how often do things like like that that you wrote specifically like not make it due to like fear? I, I mean, I, I obviously you're not up there writing like fucking like super blue shit, but like, was there a lot of times where they're like, we can't say this, or you guys can't like, you got to take that out for some kind of worrying reason? Not really. They don't really do that. Honestly, I, I, I almost never heard that at SNL. Uh, if things were edited, it was mostly just for editing. It was mostly just like if thing, you know, what they want to keep the funniest thing. You can't, you know, say certain curse words. But we never I never ran into a situation where someone was like, you can't talk about this person or this product or something like that. Right. I mean, I remember the year I was there, we had a a sketch about Volks. I think it was either Volkswagen or Mercedes or BMW. It was some German car company and it was like literally a German car commercial and showing the different generations and years that they'd made this car. But each time Hitler was driving. <laughs> and That's good. Yeah. But they, they said no go on that. <laughs> no, that, that aired. Oh, that aired. Oh, well then there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like I've seen like interviews with, with cast members where they're like, Oh, you know, we got to be careful cause we don't want to make fun of like a, a celebrity if they're going to come on the show or whatever. But I mean, seems like uh, it's a little bit. Yeah, more I mean, you don't want to be you don't want to be overly mean. And yes, there are definitely celebrities that are friends of the show that you're not going to want to be like super cruel to. But I, I just I didn't really see much of that. You know, I've seen believe me, I've seen plenty of people who were hosts of the show. And then a few weeks later are getting made fun of pretty bad. It happens. Right. There's people it, it, you get no protection, you know, like, you know, I don't you know, we're not going to be, you know, there's definitely people we that are liked and I'm sure, you know, it would be really weird if, you know, Alec Ball played Trump in the cold open and then they had a sketch about rust. Sure. But that's really more, you know, but, but I, but, but yeah, I, I, I never ran into that. I never ran into a lot of sort of, you can't say this, you can't say that. Right. Well, speaking of uh, being cruel, you also wrote for triumph, the insult comic dog. And uh, yeah, what, yeah, what, still do. What are oh, you still do? Yeah, yeah. So, what are like the logistics like in filming that? Like, are you do you pre-write like bits that he's gonna have, or are you there with them, like going through the crowds and all that? Both. Um, you go into the situation. I write a ton of I write a ton of material, and I'll write things that will come up in different scenarios. We we sort of know who we're gonna talk to, and then you sort of. But then the the, the worst thing is well, like you know Robert who Robert Smigel is of course. Triumph will have this like stack of papers of all these jokes you wrote. And then someone might say something that gives you an intro for one. And then he frantically has to go through the paper and find the joke that actually applied to that, uh, which is really funny. But yeah, basically, uh, I'd be mostly I'd be there with him. He would have all these jokes. He would he would submit jokes. He would he would pick the ones that he liked the most. And then as we're doing it, then you would also be there and, you know, just sort of whispering, you know, like passing notes, saying what to say. Uh you know, we when we did stuff at the Senate offices, you know, I was really proud of the fact that like I was the one who was able to like identify the most congressmen right. and be like, oh, that's that guy. We could say this about him, shit like that. Uh, we just did the Chiller Festival, which was really awesome. It's this Jersey uh, autograph signing festival that had a bunch of celebrities there, like signing autographs. We could go around making fun of them. Uh, a lot of people from The Sopranos were there. Oh, sick. <laughs> Uh, Eddie Furlong was there. Oh boy, uh, yeah, he's at a lot. He's, he's signing a lot of autographs these days. Yeah, Richard Dreyfus, uh, Billy Zane. Uh, it was a Coco Beware. It was a lot of people. <laughs> 
I mean, Daryl Strawberry, my God, what, a, you know, who, who doesn't want to get to have a few minutes making fun of Daryl Strawberry? Well, I just love how those conventions uh, have like boiled down from like, like it was Comic-Con and then there's a horror one and then there's like TV Goldie, like Golden Oldies. And now it's just like Daryl Strawberry and Eddie Furlong together. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And this is the chiller. It's supposed to be a horror festival, but it doesn't matter. It's like, like yeah, it's Jimmy Mouth of the South Heart and the cast of the Wonder Years. Why not? <laughs> chiller, right? Fuck, yeah. When you're doing Priscilla Presley was there. <laughs> oh, wow. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking. Yeah, I know. Kind of bizarre. We did, we did, I had a lot of jokes about her, but we didn't make fun of her because, you know, God, uh, you know, obviously she's going through a lot. Sure. But I really I had I had we also have Eddie Furlong and Michael Bean, who was Kyle Reese in the Terminator. So I really wanted to do a joke where, oh, my God, we have two of the stars of the Terminator. This is such a big event for Terminator fans. They even threw in a cybernetic organism covered in a thin layer of human skin tissue. Oh, I'm sorry. That's Priscilla. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, um, she has had a rough year. I mean, Elvis didn't win Best Picture, so I, I'm sure she's going through a yeah. lot. Um, probably nothing else in her life. Um, so <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's really sad. Um, I also I really wanted to say to Richard Dreyfus, hey, I, I guess you used to be a star, but you had too many close encounters of the third degree. <laughs> so do you when you're doing that, like, have you ever run into like someone getting like super fucking pissed or like a sketchy kind of like safety type situation filming with Triumph? Well, we've we've interviewed Trump supporters. <laughs> we've interviewed people. We've interviewed Ted Cruz supporters, people who will people who will go out of their houses to an event to support Ted Cruz. People who drove somewhere, who put on clothing <laughs> in support of Ted Cruz being in a position of power. So yes, we've dealt with people who were scary. Right. Who did not seem all that uh, held together. Yeah, because you guys did. Oh, not that it's been a problem, but, you know, you, there's definitely people who seem and, and we are being very disruptive. I mean, I definitely thought there were some people who looked upset with us, didn't get physical, but they simply they, there were some camouflage wearing people who looked upset when we had a guy, an actor pretend to be a really, really drunk Judge Kavanaugh disrupt a speech. <laughs> and so, I mean, what do they do? Like. I mean, obviously, if it's not physical, then I mean, it's just people being mad at you, which is kind of the the whole bit. Anyways, yeah, no, we, yeah, I, I, yeah, I haven't seen uh, attacks. I remember, I know that at the Chiller Festival, they said that a previous year there was a stabbing, and if I gave you one guess as to who went to the festival to stab a celebrity, you'd probably get get it right. If I if I made you take a random guess as to why someone stabbed a celebrity at this autograph signing, I think you'd I you you have a I bet you'd get it. Oh geez, I'm probably not. Uh, let's see, MAGA hat. Random guess. Uh, keep going. Uh, uh, more specific. Uh, <laughs> I can. I, I you got me. Go just just uh hit, hit me with it. Uh, hit me with it. It was a pizza. It was a Pizzagate guy, a guy oh. who was like, "Oh, you're a celebrity. You must rape children." Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, of course. Allegedly, would, yeah, allegedly, yeah, the cabal, he presumably. But yeah, it was one of those people who was like, "Ooh, a place where there's celebrities. I bet there's lots of kids in a cage somewhere that I could rescue." <laughs> uh, At the is, Chiller Festival, yeah, like Jesus yeah. Christ. Also, allegedly, that's ironic, I guess, you know, like the horror. Uh, festival. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, that exactly. And I also know. I mean, I know. Speaking of puppets, I used to open for a, a great, great comedian. God rest him, uh, Otto and George, uh, Otto, uh, Otto Peterson and George was the puppet and he got stabbed in the hand as in through the puppet. What? So the puppet got stabbed yeah. in, the, in the chest really is, is what happened. Yes. The guy screamed El Diablo and it stabbed him. Yeah. Psycho. You know, there's a war on comedy, as they say, you know, I mean, between uh, puppets mm -hmm. getting stabbed and Chris Rock getting slapped. It's uh, but what do you what do you make of that when people say there's a war on comedy? What, what's your what's your takeaway on that? Well, it's funny how that can mean two completely different things. Sure. Sometimes Some it's like a dog see that as some people see that as yeah, as just uh they don't let people be right wing comedians 
And, you know, it's but it, it also can mean, you know, that there is a the opposite. end. there are a bunch of people who are essentially fascist and want to physically stop people from saying things they don't like. And they are trying to physically attack comics who dare to make fun of Trump in jokes. Uh, and that's really funny because those are just bitter people who are just not all there. And they can't accept the idea that like very few people, who, almost no one who likes Trump is also funny and they don't understand why, but it really has to do with honesty. And like, you can't lie to yourself constantly and write good jokes. Um, so that, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> but also, I mean, you know, like uh, just, I feel like, like language is, is a big thing. And just like, you know, I, it all depends on yes, the crowd. And that, that, that is true too. There is, there, there are people who, Exactly. And yes, no, there is a problem of like, even if you're trying to do what's right and you're not being offensive, people are overthinking what you say because they're so because no one I feel like people don't really in general stop thinking of themselves anymore. I think people don't lose themselves in 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 performances. They can't stop thinking. They it's like they always think someone's watching them. And they're trying to react the way they think they're supposed to. So there are times when, you know, material that is not offensive will be people because they don't want to trust their own judgment. And I feel like a lot of people aren't really processing information. They're just acting like they assume other people want them to and not really thinking it through. And that does make comedy harder. It does make entertainment harder when people are so reactionary in such unpredictable ways because they're not really looking at the meat of what's happening they're judging it from a very weird shallow from afar place and things get misinterpreted very easily and things get censored in a way that like like a lot of times you're completely supporting someone but they don't want to hear it from you or they don't or if it's a joke that they couldn't have come up with, they'll find a way of saying it's offensive. You know, right. I mean, it, it reminds me of like when I was at Occupy Wall Street dressed as a billionaire in a tuxedo <laughs> interviewing people as a billionaire, you know, doing jokes. There were people who were like offended. And I'm like, so you literally think that I'm that, a, that this man you see here dressed in a tuxedo <laughs> at Occupy is an actual rich billionaire right <laughs> like are you so ignorant about how the world works that you think billionaires actually wear tuxedos all day yeah or actually give person, a shit enough to even come down there to talk to these those people it's it's really scary when people think that it's your fault that they can't process satire right and you've been doing that for for a long time i mean you've been doing kind of confrontational like man on the street stuff for a, for a while i mean I remember oh, yeah. like yeah. I mean I remember Brick Stone, you know, you going up against the Westboro Baptist Church. How many times did you run into those fuckers when you were doing that? I mean, in terms of Westboro, I probably did something like, you know, up to like maybe a dozen of those videos and I, I did other I did other hate groups. I did just man on the street stuff where I was just fucking punks on Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, you know, conspiracy theories. I just tried to do things that I thought would be interesting. And Westboro really gives you so much to work with. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, now half the country is Westboro. Yeah. <laughs> did, so I mean, did they start special anymore? Did they start like recognizing you? Like, oh, by the by the second or third one, they were just like yelling my name to each other as a warning. I'm like, oh my god, this is like a stinger video for me. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, dude. That you're just like you're, you. just gave me an announcement. That's fucking great. That it doesn't. Yeah. yeah no. Get better. They were that. like they were prepped for me. It was great because. <laughs> You know, they thought because it made them more confident that they'd be able to deal with me and still couldn't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember seeing that's the best thing is you take advantage of their narcissism and making them believe that they could out talk you. Right. That was the whole game. God. Well, and I mean, because they're so like impounded with their rhetoric that they don't they don't have like new shit that they can come up with on the fly to like go against anyone challenging them. You know, it's all just like. That, that's the problem with with, yeah. with God people in general. Like it's like they always have the trump card to lay down, and but they, but they can't prove it. But that's their that's their go to, you yeah. know, no matter what. I remember the first the first time I ever spoke to them was over the phone. It was on a radio my friend's radio show, Joe Conti's, uh, Joe Conti and Kenny Michaels radio show, and they asked they they, they came to me like, hey, we're, we're interviewing Shirley Phelps, Westboro Baptist Church. We know that you're like really into like that kind of stuff. This was years before. Like, do you have anything to say? And I did. And I was so proud of this because I kind of broke her. Like I got her to just not have an answer and then just start screaming that I'm going to go to hell. Oh, yeah. Which is like that's a when you huge won. win. My question was, I said, because it's important to sort of set parameters 
You know what I mean? When you're doing this, you want to, because you, what you're doing is you're, you're locking people into one thing because what people like Westboro and MAGA people, what they all do is they want the ability to say something that can mean one thing to one person and something else to someone else. And they don't want to be nailed down to what they actually believe. They want to be tongue in cheek. They want to use that bullshit. They want to bullshit their way through everything. And if you can get someone and with Westboro, with other hate groups, with conspiracy theories, my thing was always if people knew what else they believed, if they were out of their comfort zone and had to actually answer straight questions, a lot of people would start to see how full of shit these people are. And I said to her, I was like, do you believe in the speed of light? And she was like, what do you mean? And I'm like, do you believe that light has a specific speed? Do you believe that it actually is 193 million miles per second? Whatever it is. Um, and I said, do you believe in the speed of light? And she said, yes. I said, okay. Then how can we see planets that are more light years away than the universe has existed? Because you say the universe has ex existed for 6,000 years. But we can see the light from planets that are a million light years away. And she just paused and yelled, Jesus Christ will burn you in hell. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> and boy, did that feel good. Yeah, that no, that's definitely when you know you win. When when they go back to the trump card, man, I'm telling you. It's like, well, you're going to burn in hell no matter what the fuck. Yeah. God. Now, to be fair, I was ignorant of certain concepts in physics about the expansion of the universe because the universe actually is wider than it is old, meaning that the universe is more light years wide than is years old meaning that the objects on the edges of space are moving away from the center of the universe faster than the speed of light without breaking the speed of light and that fucking pisses me off so much <laughs> like that makes me so fucking mad that like literally i'm like fuck you yeah <laughs> fuck space. you space yeah fuck. how fucking dare you <laughs> be that goddamn hard to understand it's crazy that's why i think a lot of space stuff is just made up because who's gonna fucking double check most of that you know what i mean like other people that fucking get that that's the only people that get space or space people um <clears throat> you know i remember but it's double it's double blind they can you can check it people who want to disprove them that's that's what's great about science is you can you you, you can you can show your work right yeah and it's math it doesn't make me any less mad no it, it doesn't make me less upset no yeah it'd be i'd be way happier if I could be like these idiots who just say, I choose not to believe in science and I don't have to, and you can't make me, but it's real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the one thing I'm never going to, one thing I'm never going to do in life that a lot of people do is I'm never going to lie to myself to feel better. There you go. I can't. And I've seen, I see people do that so much. Yeah. And I just can't. Well, it's, you know, feeling bad makes funny uh, a lot of the time, unfortunately. Don't let, don't get cucked by physics. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Um, I, you know, I want to talk about this other early project that you did, the Archie Black, uh, the, the worst. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what? I just remember seeing all these clips, but I never quite understood. You want to, you want to break down what that, what that project was? Yeah, that's no longer available, thank God. But that was basically <laughs> me going to all these different comedians and saying, I've always heard, you know, horror stories about road comedy and about the worst people in comedy. And I was like, if you have a story about a real piece of human garbage that you met at any point in comedy, I would like you to change his name to Archie Black and put it on this documentary. That's basically what it was. And it was just going around being like, what's like the worst thing you've ever seen in comedy? And you had some fucking just, people on there that saw some bad shit. You had like fucking Artie Lang on there, you know? Yeah. And like Artie, I got, I got to be like Artie Lang telling like a real story. I don't know who it's for. I never asked whoever. I don't know who that story is really about, but we was like, yeah, say it's Archie Black. Uh, it was just some story told about some guy doing coke with his girlfriend with his money, you know, and, you know, it, it was just stuff like that. And, you know, some some people you would just give jokes to and you'd be more joking. And some people had like real stories. Some people had stories that I did not know were about other people in the documentary. <laughs> That's good. When you find that out, like, is it ever surprising to like hear a terrible story with someone? And be like, oh, shit, that was that guy. Oh. Oh, no, I was shocked because I had one comic mad at me because it was back to back. He literally was telling the story about someone and then that was the next person. <laughs> and that was a hunt. And it was a hundred percent of coincidence. I had no idea. And he didn't believe me. And that was so funny. Well, it's funny, too, because I feel like those two guys, like if they never told you, they'd be the only ones that would know it was about 
who it was about, you know, <laughs> so they would just have to. Yeah, like... no, I mean, I mean, I guess it was a it was a they had a feud that I never heard that was public, but I never heard of it before. I had no idea. And he lit and he just assumed I'd heard it. I'm like, I don't fucking know. I didn't I didn't know this was from 30 years ago. Right. I didn't know that you guys had a thing, but that literally he's telling the story and the next guy is that guy. Oh, my God. So I'm so, so I'm sure both of them, both of them must have assumed that that was on purpose and it wasn't right yeah it's just because it's yeah it's all, all by chance that's hilarious and i felt bad because i wouldn't have, i wouldn't have done that did you like i wouldn't have blindsided them with that did you take all that stuff down like just because now you're like in, yeah. in the world and you don't want to <laughs> be, be attacked well it's also well some of these so, yeah i mean some of the stories they're i didn't write these stories so it's like i don't want people to think i'm like responsible for you know <laughs> super you know, heinous shit is in people's like you know this is supposed to be a cautionary tale about the comedy industry but i don't want people to think that i'm just like putting out a bunch of stories Stories about like, oh, isn't it funny to be a piece of shit? You right, know? right. Um, but yeah, I just I, I didn't think it was best to have to leave it up. Um, but but yeah, it was uh, it was a lot. The name comics they mostly just had their own stuff. Right. So you know, it, it was just I was I wasn't censoring it. I was just saying you know say what you want. I, I it was just an experiment, like an aristocrats kind of thing. You know, speaking about uh, the old old school stuff, um, I do remember one of the things that I think it was one of the times I first met you. There was like a, a temporary venue up the street called Echo Chamber, and they did a roast yeah. of this. Uh, we'd call her like a scene queen, I guess, someone that's always at shows. This this uh, young lass, Tuki. Tuki. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she recently heard from Tuki. Yeah, yeah. She she chimes in every once in a while. Uh, yeah, I heard. I heard, I heard from Tuki a few days ago <laughs> yeah N nice girl but uh she was fucking crazy she went as a house once for halloween which i thought was hilarious but uh yeah we yeah. they asked you to, to host a roast and then my band sons of the bitch we came and did a song and got in a lot of trouble because they weren't allowed to have live music but also i felt uh -huh. like no one like i think maybe Tuki was down and then sarah who set it up was down but i don't think a lot of other people understood what a roast really meant or how how mean it was gonna be you know like, did, did well, you get yeah, I mean, we're in a place that was literally advertised as a safe space? And I'm up in there. I, I literally said because she was missing a tooth, a front tooth. And I said, if you lose any more teeth, it's going to look like your tongue's in jail. And like people like came up to me after yeah. and were like, dude, what the fuck? Like, I was like, dude, she I mean, she was she's the one who asked for a roast. Right. You, if you're going to ask people to roast you, they're going to roast you. I mean, I knew that, you know, the material I had was like, I've done a lot of roasts. I know what a good roast joke. Oh, is. yeah. You're always on, on roast uh, battles and all that. Yeah. So, like, like I remember I said, uh, because it's true that Tuki is known for her catchphrase. My name is Tuki and I'm here to fuck. <laughs> Dude, it's like. And if you folks, That's true. If folks, if you could just see like this. Yeah, it, it was. I, I do remember that. I remember you saying something about it. Like a. Well, no, that, that, that's but... well, no, what I what I said was that uh, that, yeah, that's her catchphrase uh, second only to her. And, and then, of course, her second most used catchphrase. My name is Tukey and I'd like an abortion, please. Yeah. <laughs> God, those, those were the fucking those. Those were the days, man. Uh, but then then you left. And, it, you know, I wanted to ask you, what do you think? Because you have, you know, you had like your foot in both for so long. Like, what is really the difference between like L.A. comedy scene and New York comedy scene? For someone that's I mean, like up and I coming, people, let's say. It's hard. It's it's really hard to say because I haven't done open mics, you know, in either place in a very long time. I kind of never really did that many open mics in L.A. I was that was really more something I did when I was in New York. Um, I would do more just, you know, I'd rather do just like crappy bar shows th for the most part. But I think that, you know, they're both places that are multiple clicky. There's like different groups. There's there are wild differences between the kinds of rooms you can do in either place. Both places there are there are rooms where you will hear the hackiest rape jokes you've ever heard in your life, and you can't believe this is still happening. And there are rooms that are the most twee, uh, like just overly cute nonsense of like community of community people supporting each other. And then there's rooms of like really great experimental stuff and really, and, and there's it, I feel like I don't know that there's that much of a difference because there's so much variation. Um, both places. I feel like people think of New York as a place where there's more like edgelord bullshit comedy and LA as a place where there's more experimental uh, flowery, you know, stuff. And it's, I, I think it's both. I think it's really a lot of both. Yeah, um, I, 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 you, you will see, 
you can in any of those places you can go to a basement and see people doing either really intelligent really interesting experimental comedy or uh, uh pandering bullshit and you can go to any club and see the hackiest crap you've ever seen in your life or the most seasoned well-written comedy it's it, it changes so much it's it's impossible to nail down i think yeah yeah i mean it's interesting because you know it's like my you know i toured in bands and stuff and like every city like the music scene is 100 percent different like like from but i yeah. feel like comedy is just because it's you know people with a microphone so there's it, it's uh it's yeah it probably is a little bit more similar just because of how vast it is no matter where you go you know and how and how because people are different from each other. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, last thing I, I do want to talk to you about, cause uh, I figure you could shed some light on this. Cause um, you know, we, we cover pop culture history and things here. And someone once suggested that we do the writer's strike from when lost was on TV and everyone blamed the, the ending on lost on the fact that there was a strike happening and blah, blah, blah. And somehow that was a pop culture, you know, that belongs in our ethos. I, I don't agree, but what's going on with the strike now? Like when, when did it start? What's it all about? out uh your feelings uh the strike it began friends. mid it began monday night that was the week that i was there with pete because we were going to host snl so i got to go into monday say all the hellos do the pitch meeting knowing the chances were pretty good we weren't going to stay there the most fucked up thing about that is that i met you know i saw the people i used to work with and i saw a lot of the new people and i met all these new writers you know not necessarily new but some have been there the weird thing is we're going to probably end up doing the episode next season you know, we're early next season, we'll do our episode. Some someone I met, at least some people I met Monday are not going to still be there, sure. which is very weird. Yeah. Um, But what's happening with the strike is this is a gigantic opportunity for studios to basically be able to stop paying a huge chunk of their budget by transforming a career into a gig for hustlers. The idea being, can we allow studios to pay writers the way you would pay Uber? Uh. Or the idea being that like, you know, there are people in the world who think that painters never needed to be a job and that it should be something you do in your spare time. And that's the same way people see writing a lot of times that, you know, you should that studios are saying people will watch whatever we want. If we consolidate, if we diversify, you know, people will just maybe, maybe we don't need written comedy and drama anymore. Maybe people can just watch TikTok and, and reality shows, you know, they'll be, they wouldn't care if that happened. It's a rough world. If there weren't, movie, if there weren't movies anymore, like they, if they can make the same amount of money by pushing everyone toward just watching other people at home, you know, say things that are relatable, but not interesting or, or creative, they will. So this is like a very big moment because the studios are losing billions of dollars, meaning they think they can make more by getting rid of us. Now I'm a comedy writer, so I don't have as much to worry about with AI, but a lot of other writers do because AI, there are shows, unfortunately, that are formulaic enough that AI could write them. Oh, they for can't sure. Like jokes yeah. we've seen so far, but they do. And like one of the things that is the uh, uh, negotiation is they want to say you cannot use AI. You we, is us saying to studios, entertainment companies, you cannot use AI to write. You cannot use it to write. You can't use it to edit. You cannot use it to replace us. And the studios are kind of saying that that's some. It seems to be that they're saying that it's not something that, that they will ever bend on they want to have the potential and the opportunity to eventually no longer have writing be a human being's job it's very which i don't know if you've seen things ai writes it's, it's not good it's not well south park and, did did a did a whole episode where they had it written. right you saw yeah. how bad well, well not a whole episode no, no, just no, the end yeah, of the yeah, episode yeah just yeah and you but and you, you can saw tell how different it was yeah you can you can tell you can when tell, it starts I mean, getting it, weird i'm like oh yeah. wait why is this like starting to sound weird like, yeah you know it was like a not yeah. It was like a nine year old wrote it, with the part that ChatGPT actually wrote. The thing about it is, is that when you look at AI art, which people which upset people before this started happening, is that it's not really AI. It's not AI. 
with AI art, they weren't actually learning to paint anything ever. They were simply learning to steal. They were stealing thousands of other images, cobbling them together, and then making something that had too many authors for any one person to sue for plagiarism. Right. That's what that's what AI does with writing. They're just going around Twitter and different websites, and they're just looking at what people say and cobbling it together. Now, you can say that's what some writers do, and it's true, but that's not really writing. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's not. just stealing. Fuck. They're just stealing from enough different people that it's like a stone soup thing. That's fucking gnarly. It. it yeah. So that it, it, that is another major problem. It is endorsing plagiarism. And I, I mean, look, plagiarism is a problem in general because I think younger younger generations do not even understand what IP means. No, no. I mean, like, look at streetwear. Lot, oh my god! Like, like to be a copy. A lot of people of something, think they have a right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like in China, for example, China culturally, China has often just not thought of IP as as real property. Like, there's a famous story of like a guy in in China opened uh, his own Disneyland. Right. Yeah. 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 And I remember quotes about that where he was just like it seemed like he was absolutely bewildered about why he couldn't do that <laughs> and he was like i don't understand there's no disneyland in this town how can i not be allowed to build it? i build it myself <laughs> and he's like the fuck is wrong with you yeah you psychopath first of all if you have the means to build an amusement park why don't you just make one up uh, on your own <laughs> you know what i mean why do you want to just copy another uh, it, it, it's crazy so i mean is there an end in sight for this for this strike or is it kind of at a stone i don't know or what I think people are uh, waiting because every time the strike has happened before, it's lasted for months and there's nothing like Judd Apatow spoke about this. It's not like after months, something happened. They're like, oh, yeah, I can see why that took so long. They're just feeling it out to see how long before we starve. Right. Yeah. Is what it seems like. God damn. And they're just saying, who's going to suffer more? They're the ones losing billions, but writers are all going to lose their health insurance and they're all going to lose their livelihoods. And the hope is that a lot of them go to, you know, other jobs or start writing for video games or start doing, you know, live performance because they can't wait that long. I mean, last time was three months and, you know, they started making shows without writers and they were horrifically bad. Yeah. Uh it's going to be a big problem because the studios may be thinking this is their big chance to actually get rid of unions in general. The Writers Guild, don't forget, they're going to do the same thing with the producers and directors guilds. So they have this potential to use this as a template to say, we can make a lot more money when every single person who works for us can Doesn't. You know, basically, <laughs> yeah, you know, has to you know, they're, they're going to treat us like new pilots where, you know, you're still on food stamps. You know, that's what happened to pilots when Reagan was trying to stop pilots from striking. It was like being a pilot. It's like, why do you want a pilot of your of your plane who's on fucking food stamps? Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like fucking. Yeah, no, it, it, it's crazy. I mean, at least uh, you guys got your show out, though, before that. Yeah, no, I mean, it, oh, yeah, it was very, very lucky that we finish it before because you really can't you can't film a comedy show without writing um without writers and uh, that's one of the big problems is that shows don't have as many writers because less ep fewer episodes and it's a whole thing it's uh it's a it, it we really it remains to be seen how long the studios want to do this for um the last time it happened it was because they were thinking hey we can just replace all this with reality yeah and and the funny thing is the strike is more necessary now than ever before. It makes the eighties reasons for strikes look insane. Look, look nothing. You know, when these people had everything um, and they were striking now it's like, Oh no, this is actually our existence. This is actually the idea of writing being a profession. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, the AI aspect to, to the whole argument too, is just fucking crazy to me. Cause when you think of, jobs like my like robots or computers taking over people's jobs the last jobs you would think that that would actually be used to take over would be like intellectual jobs where like human thought is the driving force and the fact that yeah. they're down to just like replace said, that is crazy fortunately i i've never seen ai write a competent joke but you know how hard could it be to write an svu sure yeah if you just say write an svu episode based on this news story like 
it's not going to be good and the dialogue will probably be, be garbage but a lot of i hate to say this but like a lot of people barely watch tv they just kind of have it on and it's like they're 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 like barely engaged in it you know like tv that is challenging is usually not very popular which really sucks shows like the good place or community that really test your intelligence are not what people want right they want shows unfortunately oftentimes that are intellectually insulting yeah <laughs> well because that's the majority of people in the world i i suppose it's uh just kind of goes to, yeah, goes to yeah. show you who, who who the who the masses are well dave it's been awesome having you on man uh it's good to see you congratulations on the it's new show and, yeah. and everything and uh yeah next time you're uh out in la fucking hit me up we'll uh we'll, we'll grab no, some drinks man. we'll, we'll go to you. one of those open mics you miss so much yeah yeah all right <laughs> all right man awesome man thank hey, you take it easy bye Well, that was Dave Cyrus, folks. Cool guy. Lots and lots of uh, showbiz experience. I love, I love, uh, I mean, who doesn't like to see, you know, folks that, that, that you knew, you know, years ago re re really make it. And uh, yeah, very cool guy. So be sure you check out Bubkiss on Peacock. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Also, you know, I mean, I think it's safe to say that everyone uh, loves Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. So now you know, uh, well, one of the minds behind it, so that's great. But, yeah, that's Dave Cyrus. Make sure you check him out. He's got tons of clips on YouTube and everything else, too. So check him out, folks, and uh, be sure you check out our new Culture Dumps Superstore. That's culturedumps.bigcartel.com. That's where we're selling our official merch as well as tons of collectibles and books and movies and anything that can bring you closer to dumpdom. So, you know, you're, you'll be seeing artifacts from Woodstock 99 listed on there. Serial killer comic books, uh, fucking pogs, beanie babies, all kinds of different stuff. So culturedumps.bigcartel.com for exclusive content like bonus episodes, research materials and the like. That's culture that's patreon.com slash culture dumps follow us on instagram at culture dumps send us emails at culture dumps at gmail.com i'm ryan lichten i was joined by dave cyrus keep on dumping